been here for any length of time, you know this. Uh, we have been for the last two years uh, involved in a partnership with Brenda Salter McNeil and Associates. Uh, and Brenda has been just a blessing to us. Yes, she has. She's a tremendous blessing. I love this woman, and I love the anointing of God that's on her. And she and her husband have been working with us to help us move forward in, in becoming a reconciled and reconciling congregation. Uh, just laying a foundation. Most of it's been behind the scenes, dealing with structural issues and things of that sort. But there's been some tremendous stuff that's happened in the last two years. And this relationship, uh, this aspect of this relationship is coming to an end, though I know that we're going to be, uh, you know, dialoguing with her and having her up here uh, in the future. But uh, we've asked her to come and share her heart, whatever God puts on her heart uh, at this time. So would you please give a warm Wilden Hills welcome to Brenda Salter-McNeil. And Lord, just bless this woman. Bless this woman. She is just a blessing. Love you. Love you. Amen. Amen. Preach away. Well, God bless you. Two years has gone by really fast, it seems. Uh, and I have really, I don't know how to say it without getting even teary. You've become a part of my heart. And so as much as you clap for me, I clap for you. It is my honor to be your sister in the Lord, to come and bring the word of God. You've been a receptive people, and I appreciate you for that. And so I thought I was going to preach uh, from a sermon that I just did not long ago, which has been life-changing for me. I preached at a huge missions convention called Urbana. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of Urbana, but it's kind of a college thing. It happens right after Christmas, and this year they had it for the first time in St. Louis. 22,500 people came to St. Louis <laughs> uh, for Urbana. It was huge. It was amazing. It was on the radio, praise the Lord. Well, I was done. I was like, oh, God, that was a good word, and I want Woodland Hills to hear it. So if you weren't able to hear it on the radio, I have a link to it on my website. So if you want to find out what God said uh, at Urbana, you can go to the website. It's www.mylastnamesaltermcneil.com. Uh, but when I got ready to try to bring that message, God said, nope, you're going to be in Genesis, but you're not going to pre preach what you preached at Urbana. And, uh, and so, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 32, and it's not about what I preached at Urbana, but I think God has me locked and set in the book of Genesis, and uh, I don't know how long I'll be here. We'll see when the Lord releases me from Genesis, but I'm here uh, for a while, and as we prepare ourselves to hear the word of God and to be in God's presence, I am a worshiper. Everything I do really comes out of heart of really loving God. I sincerely love God. I'm not the best preacher in the world. I'm not the most special Christian, but I can tell you this, with all my heart, I love God. And so when I sing in front of you, I am not trying to entertain you or amuse you. Amusement means without mind, mindless. I'm not trying to do things that are mindless. Every single thing I do, especially when I stand in front of you, is because I want God's presence to come. So I'm going to sing a song, Anointing Fall on Me, and it's my prayer. And if it's your prayer, feel free to sing with me, all right? Um, uh, uh, there are times that I just kind of wish I had the ability to play and sing so that I could make this a fuller experience. I can't. I can sing. I can't play for myself. But if this is worship for you and if this is a prayer with you, just sing it where you are without accompaniment. We'll just sing it before the Lord as our prayer. It goes like this. Anoint Anointing fall on me, anointing fall on me, let the 
the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost, let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Anointing fall on me. Lord God, we ask for your anointing because we believe what your word says, that it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Lord God, we trust not in our own human ingenuity. We trust not in our own creativity. We can't manufacture transformation. Hallelujah. We need your spirit to come and to do in and through us what we can't do in and through ourselves. So come, Holy Spirit. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on us. Life-changing power, resurrection power, eye-opening power, mind-changing power. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God, and fall afresh on us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. amen. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. You can listen and direct your attention to the screens as I read the word of God. The same night, he, Jacob, got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise, everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. 
But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. And we're thankful. Amen? Amen. Now, this sermon is in search of a title. I tend to search for titles. I'm writing a book now, and I don't have a title for that. So, so I came up with two, and you get to choose the one you like the best. How about that? All righty. The first title is what drove me to this text, and the title is basically this. What does it really mean to be blessed? What does it really mean to be blessed? Or my son Omari has proposed another title, and his is not that bad. Holding on for the blessing. Holding on for the blessing. I pray that whichever you choose, that by the end of this sermon, you'll have some idea of what it really means to be blessed. And when you understand what it is, you'll hold on for the blessing. It was 1981. I had gotten a full ride to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. I was living at that time in Trenton, New Jersey, and my mom didn't want to say goodbye. She was happy about my graduate work, she was happy about the scholarship, but she was fearful of her baby girl going all the way across country. We didn't have any family, no relatives, no friends there. We didn't know about anybody in California. And the only concept we had in our minds of Californians were hippies. And so my mom wasn't all that thrilled about her daughter going away to California to go to school. I'm not sure what she feared might happen to me, but I'm certain, I'm certain it was the worst. And so she wasn't celebrating my leaving. So as I packed everything in my Ford Mustang to get ready to make the cross-country trek with my girlfriend Renee, and then later a guy named Eugene jumped in the car and said, I'll go with you guys, everybody came to say goodbye but my mom. My brothers are waving, my sister's saying goodbye, my dad's giving me directions, but my mom won't come outside. And I know what it was. She had already hugged me and she had already given me some instructions, but she just didn't want to see me pull away because she didn't want to say goodbye. She didn't want to let me go. And I completely understand because now I'm a mom and I've got two children and I've got a 17-year-old. My husband and I uh, have two kids and that next one is going to be leaving for college in about a year. And I'm already trying to get ready for what it's going to feel like to tell that guy goodbye. But here in our text, I think Jacob learns what it is to end well. Jacob learns what it is to say goodbye. And in the process, he gets blessed. Now, when I think about this word blessed, I realize that I come from a church culture that sings about it, talks about it, and acts, actually greets people around this concept of being blessed. I love this thought that we're blessed people and that this is a season of grace and blessing for us. We confess it at our church every single week. It's a big deal for us to say we're blessed. In fact, we have a belief that if you confess it, you possess it. So we say it all the time. Amen. We say it all the time. We'll greet each other and we'll 
will say, how are you doing? And that person will say, I'm blessed. And if you're really sanctified, you'll say something like, I'm blessed of the Lord and highly favored. Oh, we get cute with it over at our church. We're serious about it. And, and you can tell that we are folks who talk about it. You can't start a song around being blessed, something like the Fred Hammond tune that says, blessed, 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 blessed. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I come and when I go. We cast down every stronghold. Sickness and poverty must cease because the devil is defeated and we are blessed. Oh, we mean it. We mean it. We mean it. We're blessed people. And then as we think about it, but what are we looking for and what are we trying to get? What are we striving for? What does it really mean to be blessed? Here in our text, Jacob is a man who has tried everything in the book to get blessed. He came into this world, it seems, seeking to be positioned right. In fact, he is the second of, two, of a set of twins. He has a brother who comes into this world first, but he comes in with Jacob holding on to his heel, so much so that when his mother and the midwife sees his entrance into this life, they realize that this is a kid who tries to get over. This is a kid who no matter what, seems to have something inside of him to try to pull his way into advantage. Ah, they gave him a name that was fitting for a person who seemed to want to win uh, at all, at, with, with no holes barred, at, at, by any means necessary, even if it means I've got to take your place. And so they named him Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. It meant supplanter, trickster, con man flim-flam artist, a person who tends to get over, a person who surplants. And so that became his identity. And that's why what we call people is so crucial because they're not just saying a name, or at least in the Bible times, when people declared their name, they declared their identity. They were saying more about themselves than meets the eye. That's why in certain cultures, people are careful what they name people. In fact, I had a friend who said they waited for a year and gave the child a temporary name until they could see the child's character. This is an African custom because they wanted very much to name the child appropriately. So so what they called the child would indeed be indicative of their character and their personality and their identity. Ah, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Every time he announced his name, he was saying something about himself. And people heard it and took watch about him because every time he shook hands and said hello, he was basically saying, hi there, I am Slick Willie. Yes, I am, I am Tricky Dick, yes. I am the get over man. I am the one you've got to keep your eye on. I'm the one who's a con artist. That's me. I am Jacob. I am here to tell you that what you say about yourself begins to position you around other people and they begin to treat you based upon what you've said. I said in the earlier service and I'll say now, I was in New Jersey visiting with some friends and we stopped because we saw a guy selling some really interesting things along the side of the road and she was interested in purchasing some gifts and she got out she looked at the gentleman's wares and after she entertained conversation with him for a while she said to him what's your name and he said hustle man 
Now, if you're in business for yourself, you do not want to call yourself a hustle man. People immediately put away their wallet if they're dealing with the hustle man. He has already told you that he is a person who cannot be trusted. And that's exactly what Jacob was announcing about himself every time he said his name. And I want you to know that he was not alone in this trickery. He seemed to have been born into a dysfunctional family that supported him in it. I'm here to tell you that some of the stuff that we got going on has come out of our family tree. Amen. Uh, we didn't get all crazy all by ourselves. Some of this was supported by the families that we were born into. So before we look down our noses on Jacob just know that many of us have families that could use a little help as well and Jacob had a family that could use some help his wife his mother Rebecca seemed to have favoritism in the family she seemed to like one child over another she seemed somehow to have led to a sibling rivalry that was between Jacob and Esau that just would not quit and at some point that sibling rivalry turned deadly. It was on a day that Esau had gone out to work and had worked to the point of exhaustion. When he came back home, he was absolutely famished and could not wait to eat, literally could not wait to eat. Jacob knew enough about his brother and he knew enough about his indiscretions. He knew enough about his need for immediate gratification so that he had prepared this huge pot of stew that he knew the smell would be enticing and he knew that Esau had this inability to manage his own hungers and his own appetites. He couldn't tell himself, no, not now. And so he used his brother's weakness to defraud him out of his birthright. And before I go any further let me pause and say Esau becomes instructive to us does he not many of us have that same propensity to having to have it right now amen 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 many of us in this room because we have been born into a world into a culture of consumerism we just came through a Christmas where people did everything they could to get us to buy it and to have it right now and some of us are in this room just like Esau wondering, what have I done? How did I sell myself short? How did I sell out for something immediately and now sabotage my long-term success? How did I do that? How was I unable to tell myself no? How was I unable to manage my own appetites? How was I unable to keep myself from getting myself into this situation again because I couldn't delay my gratification? The Esau spirit lives long and is pervasive even in our culture. And tricky people, some of them in corporate towers, exploit our inability to tell ourselves no, to wait. And so Esau sells out. He sells his birthright. He gives up something long-term for something temporary. He lets go something that could have been permanent for something that was transient. And now he is ticked off about it. He should be mad at himself, but he's mad at his brother. And so he decides, I can't live with him. He can't live with me. I wish he were as good as dead. Rebecca picks up on the vibe. Jacob can't miss it. Everybody knows that these two guys can't live in the same house anymore. They have become mortal enemies with each other. 
they don't like the sight of each other. And if they stay around here too long, somebody's going to get hurt. And so Jacob has to get out of town. Jacob has to flee for his life, and he knows it. And so Rebecca says that he ought to go to his uncle Laban. Now, this is a very interesting twist in the story because I've come to discover that every trickster gets tricked. Uh-huh. Every, every Slick Willie Jr. has a Slick Willie Sr. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Everybody who's running a game gets a game run on you. Uh-huh. What goes around... Ah, comes around and it's comeuppance for Jacob. He gets to Laban's house. His uncle seems like there's a generational issue in this whole family. It doesn't seem to be a nuclear family issue. This seems to be an extended family problem. And some of our stuff has been generational. Amen. Some of the stuff we're dealing with in 2007 has been passed on to us from grandparents and uncles and folks who we need to stop it right in this generation. What do you think? Ah, uh, somebody ought to say the buck stop. Here. This is where it stops. We're not going to continue the legacy of craziness in our family. It's going to stop with me. That was free. That was free of charge. All right. <laughs> Jacob gets caught up in a family lineage of trickery and lying and deceit and connery. And so he gets to his uncle Laban's house thinking that he'll start over again and he's working for a living. But he gets over there, and even though everything he's doing is seeming to be productive and even multiplying in numbers, he doesn't seem to get advanced like he ought to or should. Laban is taking advantage of his labor, and then he exploits him even further because Jacob sees his younger daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. He wants to marry her. He asks if he can, and Laban says yes, but you always got to keep your eyes on folks who announce that they're tricky. And what Laban does is basically says, if you work long enough, you'll be able to pay off your debt, and then I'll make sure that your reward is that you get my daughter. It's almost like getting into debt even in this day where you are told if you work long enough and hard enough you'll get what you want only to find out that they've deceived you you've been tricked ah god they told you that you're gonna get all these frequent flyer miles they didn't tell you you're gonna have an interest rate that was gonna actually strangle you to death well nobody told jacob what was going to happen as a result of him working all of this time he thought he was actually going to get out of debt and he got deeper and deeper and deeper into debt so much so that when he thinks he is finished and he's going to marry the woman of his choice he goes into the bedroom chamber to make her his own and discovers the next day that Laban has switched women. He gave the older daughter Leah instead of the younger daughter Rachel and he says to Jacob, if you keep on working, I promise this time you'll get out of debt. Jacob is wising up to this. He realizes that God is prospering him. He realizes that he's making a lot, that God is now giving him children and servants and all kinds of stuff. He is prospering and God has enlarged his tent. He's given him uh, business insight that has absolutely quadrupled and multiplied his, 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 his uh, agricultural know-how. This guy is really doing quite well, but he's never going to be completely free as long as he stays in Laban's house. So he decides he's got to go. But in order to move into his future, he's got to deal with his past. Let me say that again. In order to move into his future, he's got to make peace with his past. 
We can't move forward and leave the stuff behind that we've left behind without addressing it. And so he realizes he's got to go back to the scene of the crime. And so he gathers up his wives and he gathers up his children and he gathers up his maids and his men servants and he gathers up all of his stuff and he begins the long trek home. It's a long journey when you got to go back and face the stuff you left. It's a long journey when you got to go back and deal with the stuff that you left undone. It's a long journey when you got to go back to the things that you have caused hell in and stuff that has been left undone. It's a long journey to go back to all of that. But it's the journey that we've all got to take if we want to move forward to what God has called us to. If we really want to be blessed, we got to deal with the mess. And so he's on his way to deal with the mess. He's on his way to deal with the mess. And he's trying to kind of smooth the road. He's trying to smooth the road. So he sends stuff ahead of him. He tries to send stuff to Esau to try to show that he's a changed man. He's sending all kinds of gifts, opulent gifts, extraordinary gifts, extravagant gifts. He's trying to say, look, man, I got a family and kids now and and wives and everything. And I'm not the same man I used to be. Here, look all I'm trying to do for you. I want your family to be blessed like my family has been blessed he's trying to say to Esau man look I used to be a taker and now I'm a giver he's trying to put himself in the best position not to be killed because he doesn't know how much the anger has waned over the years and he's trying to soften the blow as he comes to see his brother again and after he sends everything ahead of him that he can think to send Finally, he sends his wives and his kids and his maidservants and all the other things that he's kept all of the cattle, all of the possessions, he sends them all across ahead of him. And he stays by himself. And the Bible says that Jacob was left alone. You say, alone. It's not a bad thing to be left alone. Many of us don't like it. Many of us try to avoid it. We cut on the television or the radio or call a friend to try to keep from having to engage it. We'll read a book to keep from being alone. We'll write letters to friends. We'll do something. We'll do the dishes. We'll distract ourselves somehow. We'll come to church to keep from being alone. Ah, oh, there's all kinds of things that people do to keep themselves in the midst of the crowd. Sometimes we walk through the mall with nothing to do just so that we don't have to be, talk to me, alone. But Jacob was left alone. And I'm here to tell you that it's not always bad to be left alone. Sometimes we've got to be left alone before we really experience God. Ah, sometimes we have to be left alone in order for us to get free of the distractions so that we can wrestle. Ah, sometimes we have to be left alone so we can come face to face with ourselves alone, alone, alone. Sometimes we have to be left alone so that we can take a real hard look in the mirror of life so that we can see ourselves as we really are. Ah, and as God sees us, being left alone is not always a bad thing because when you are alone, I'm talking solitude alone, silence alone, by myself with nobody but God alone. God enters into the story and changes the plot. Ah, God has a way of changing our stories and rewriting the script. I love him because he does it. 
He's trying to write the stories on the pages of our lives. And when we get alone long enough, God comes in and begins to rewrite the story. And so now God steps into the story of Jacob's life and begins to wrestle with him. And they wrestle all night long. Now, for years, I've known of this story. In fact, I preached it on more than one occasion. But I've never thought of myself as Jacob. I have thought of myself as other biblical characters, maybe Peter. I could even see Doubting Thomas, a person who has to see it to believe it. But I've never, ever, ever thought of myself like Jacob until I was in a counseling session with a woman who said to me, you're a lot like Jacob, aren't you? And I remember thinking, wow, are you talking to me? <laughs> Reverend Brenda? <laughs> I don't, I am not Jacob. I'm not tricky. I'm not a con artist. I'm not a flim-flam person. I don't try to get over on people. But as she continued to talk, I realized that her words were true for me, and perhaps you might find that they're also true for you. She said, as human beings, we are like Jacob. We are a formidable foe, and we don't let go easily when God's trying to change us. Ooh. I've thought about that many times since, and I think it's true of us. I don't think we brazenly get in God's face and say, I'll duke it out with you, God. I don't think we intentionally say to God, I'll fight you, I'll wrestle with you, but I think what happens is something like this. I think God comes in to rewrite the story of our lives and there's a part of us that's a little nervous about the changes God's making. And so while God is trying to make change and transformation, we find ourselves holding on to what we used to know. And we don't mean to get into a tug of war with God, but before we know it, God is trying to pull this direction and we're trying to stay where we are. And before we know it, God is saying, I want you to do this. And we're trying to explain to God why we can't do it. And before you know it, we're in a straight out wrestling match with God. God says, forgive him or forgive her. And we start saying to God, but if you know how they kicked me in the gut and how they betrayed me, you wouldn't ask me to do it. And he'll say, I want you to tithe and I want you to become faithful in your finances. And we'll say, God, have you seen my paycheck? <laughs> That's right, saints. We are a formidable foe. We don't let go easily. We hold on and before you know it, we are tussling with God. And I'm here to tell you that's not a bad thing. I love God because God's not intimidated by those of us who want to wrestle. God jumps in the ring. Ah, oh, hallelujah. God ain't scared. God will get in the ring. God will roll up God's sleeves and God will take us on. God is God all by himself. God is able to wrestle with those of us who think we are able to stay in the ring with God. And it's in the wrestling that he changes us. It's in the wrestling that he transforms us. It's in the wrestling that we realize we're no match for God. It's in the wrestling that we recognize he's an awesome God. He's a mighty God. He's a powerful God. He's almighty God. We realize somewhere in the wrestling that we have linked up with El Shaddai, the God who's too big and who will not lose. 
I went to a play when I was a kid, and I don't remember the play much, but I do remember the title. It said simply this, your arms too short to box with God. And that was a prophetic title then, and it's a prophetic title now. Those of us who jump in the ring with God, God says, bring it on. That's fine with me. I'll change you in the process. And so we've been wrestling with God. And little did we know it, he's been changing us. We've been wrestling with God, and little did we know it, we've been being transformed in the very act of our tussle. Praise be to God. And before you know it, daybreak is upon us. We don't even realize what time it is. We've lost track of time because we've been engaged in the fight of our lives. But God is very aware of the seasons of our lives. And so God announces to Jacob, let me go because the day is breaking. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that that's good news. It's good news that we're on the brink of a new day. It's good news that daybreak is right upon us. I want you to hear me tell you today that the darkest hour is right before daybreak. That when we think it couldn't get any worse, when we feel like we couldn't go any lower, when it's been as dark as it's ever been, I'm here to tell you that you are right on the break of a new day. It's daybreak. Hallelujah. You've wrestled a long time. I know you're tired, but I'm here to tell you that God announces that we're at a new day. A new day. Ah, it gives us the sense that we're on the, the beginnings of a fresh start. A new day, new possibilities, a clean slate, amen, new opportunities, daybreak, it's dawn, a new day is dawning, new ways of doing it, a fresh clean piece of paper for God to write on our lives. I know who I used to be, but God says it's a new day. I know the mess I made before, but God said it's a new day. I'm not going to hold you to what you wrote before. Here's a fresh, clean piece of paper, and now we're going to write something else on it. It's daybreak. Hallelujah. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. It's good news. We're on the break of a new day. Israel, see, uh, Houghton said it like this. It's a new season. It's a new day. A fresh anointing is flowing my way. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season coming to me. I can sense it. I can sense it individually and I can sense it collectively. We're on the break of a new day in the church. God's about to do a new thing in the church. And I'm looking forward to what God is about to do through and with us. It's daybreak. It's daybreak. And now Jacob says to him something that I've learned about this ending well and saying goodbye. When he says it's time to go, it's daybreak. Let me go because a new day is dawning. A fresh start is beginning. Jacob says what we should say. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. He's saying something profound here. He's saying something curious here because it would appear that when Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me, we would think that Jacob is already blessed. What is he asking for? Because Jacob already has a lot of stuff. And isn't having a lot of stuff what it means to be blessed? When we pray, aren't we praying to be blessed so that we could have a lot of stuff? Uh-huh, yeah. 
Usually when we say we're blessed and we hear about prosperity, we're thinking about the stuff that comes with it. Yeah. If the truth be told, we want good health. Jacob seems to have it. We want relationships that are healthy. He has wives and children. He, uh, we want wealth, financial and economic and material things. He's got it. He's got servants. He's got folks working for him. He's doing very, very well. He's got so much stuff that he can send opulent and extravagant presents without even blinking about it. It's like when you write the $10,000 check and don't even think when you put it in the bucket. Oh! Oh, now you're writing checks. And, and, and what, what are you talking about then that you want to be blessed? You're a person who has so much stuff and God has seemed to bless you with such goodness. What are you asking for, Jacob? It would be like Oprah Winfrey saying, I just want to get blessed. <laughs> you feel like word to self. Oh, you already blessed. So I had to wrestle with this text. Because I realized all my life, as long as I've known this text, the operative word for me has always been blessed because that's what I've been seeking. I won't let you go unless you bless me. How are you? I'm blessed because my emphasis has been on getting blessed. But now <laughs> that I've been wrestling with God for a while, I'm coming to the conclusion like Jacob that the operative word in the sentence was not blessed. I believe the, op the operative word was actually you. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, Jacob has come to the conclusion, now that he's tried to do everything that he could think of to bless himself, now that he's run every scheme in the book, now that he's tried every plan that he could conjure up, he's come to the conclusion that what he's looking for, his mama doesn't have it, and his daddy can't give it to him, and his brother can't give it to him. He's tried to bless himself. He tried to get his uncle to bless him. He thought if he had kids, he'd be blessed. He thought if he got married, he'd get blessed. And he has come to the conclusion that what he's looking for a human being does not have. He's come to the conclusion that what I'm looking for, you've got it. He has wrestled with God long enough to figure out that what I want and what I hunger for and what I've been trying to get by my own trickery, it's something that you've got. And now I can't let you go. I have been close to you. I have been intimate with you in this wrestling. And I know who you are and I will not let you go. Unless you bless me, I can't let you go. Because what I've been looking for all my life, I now realize that you alone have it. And I will hold on with a death grip unless you bless me. I need the blessing that only you can give. I think Jacob began to understand that what it is to be blessed is not inherent in our stuff. That the stuff is a byproduct of the blessing. Let me tell you what it means to be blessed. The word blessed literally means to bend the knee to pray or to have a kindly or benevolent greeting. But it means more. It means to acknowledge, to bring attention to, to uncover, to reveal, to show you for who you are, to uncover you. Jacob is saying, God, who am I? Who am I? Who do you say I am? 
My mama them said I'm Jacob. They said that I'm a supplanter. They said that I'm tricky. They said that I'm not to be trusted. My uncle says I'm a con artist, somebody that you gotta get before he gets you. Who do you say I am? Who am I, God? Uncover me. Show me who I am. Define me. What's my identity? And that's what we all should ask God for. I want you to know that the stuff comes when we find out who we are. Our prosperity chases us. And I'm not just talking about financial stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that comes to me when I know who I am. Oh. I start walking a new way. I start talking a new way. God starts showing people who I really am. They were treating me like a peon, but then God took the covers off of me, and they began realizing that this is a child of the Most High God. That's who I am, and they began to treat me like I belong to a God who is good. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That when God takes the covers off you as a church, when God takes the cover off of you as an individual, people start seeing that they just can't push you around and treat you like you're trash because you're a treasure with insurmountable worth. And you start acting like you know who you are. And you start walking like you have insurpassable worth like your pastor's been telling you. And so people who have been treating you like you a dirty person, you say to them, I can't stay in relationship with you anymore because I'm blessed. And so the angel of God understands that Jacob is getting it. He's wrestled long enough now that he's understanding what it really means to be blessed. He's asking for the right thing from the right source. And so he says to him, what's your name? Translation, what have they been calling you? What have they been saying about you? How have they been referring to you? What is the identity that they have labeled you with? And Jacob doesn't hesitate. He doesn't sidestep. He goes directly to the heart of the issue. And he says, Jacob, tricky, unreliable, get over by any means necessary, me. And God says, wrong. Who they've been telling you are is not who you really are. Let me uncover you. Let me reveal who you are to you. Let me show you who you are. This is why you don't have to try to get over or trick your way into things. Let me show you who you are. You're a competitor who wins. You strive with God and with human beings and you come out on top. From the day you've been born, that's who I said you are. You are a person who holds on for the blessing. You are a person who doesn't quit. You're a person who doesn't let go. You're tenacious. You are a person who will hold on. You're a person who has steadfastness. You are Israel. You might not be the fastest and you might not be the best or the brightest, but you will not stop until you win. That's who you are. That's your name. And from this point forward, start identifying yourself differently. Start saying what I say about you. Start confessing what I say about you. I say you're Israel. And when you go back home to face your brother, don't go back home as Jacob. You go back as Israel. Hallelujah. A person who understands who they are in God 
And that's what it means to be blessed. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love that Jacob has come to the understanding that what he's looking for, only God has. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we come to the close of our relationship together, I think Jacob is quite instructive for us. He's saying to those of us who have been in a journey together, don't let each other go easily. Don't let go casually. Don't just say goodbye as if it meant nothing. When someone has been significant in your life and you and theirs, you should not let them go without a blessing. You should not say goodbye as if it meant nothing. You should make sure that if you part, you part with something that's significant to mark how important this relationship has been. If it's been life-changing, well, you shouldn't just say bye-bye. I remember once I was talking with the friends, Dr. Jones Khalili from Kenya, and he said to me one day when we were in seminary together, he said, Breda, what does this bye-bye mean in your country? He says, when we say goodbye in my country, we don't say bye-bye. What, what is that? He said, we say kwaheri. And the response is kwaheri akwanana. It's a word of blessing. We don't come in and out of each other's lives by saying bye-bye. We say kwaheri. And it's returned to us. Kwaheri akwanana. We used to say farewell. But we've shortened it up. And now bye-bye is just something we say to leave each other's presence. But it shouldn't be so. And so today I want to leave you with a blessing as I close this sermon. We've been in a two-year process with each other. And you shouldn't let me go unless I bless you. I shouldn't let you go unless I bless you, unless you bless me. It should be a reciprocal giving and receiving of a blessing. And so, Dr. Greg Boyd, if you would join me on the stage, my husband is here, Dr. J. Derek McNeil, who I love and respect. I would love you both to come. I don't know if Shelly Boyd is here in this service, but if Shelly's here and would want to make her way to the front, I'd be so honored to have her. I always ask for a worship person to help me, and so I see him coming, and I'm so glad that you are. If there's any members of the bridge crew here, I would ask you to come. Derek, would you grab a handheld, please? because we've got a blessing for you. Are you in the mood to be blessed? I sure hope so. If you're here and you've been on the bridge crew, God bless you. Derek, I want you to come now, please. Derek um, has a story about the importance of uh, not being shy about the blessing, and I'd like you to share that now. Well, our son is Omari. Brendan mentioned him before, and he's presently 17 years old, but when he was uh, young, I think he was probably like five or six or we had someone come to our church and she was blessing the children that day and for some reason um, I let him stay home and so she was bringing all the kids up and I was sitting in the audience and as she touched each child she had a prophetic word for each child and I'm sitting here thinking my child is not here and not getting blessed and so I jumped in line and actually there was a young woman there who I stood behind and I said well I'll stand in as a parent because she had parents standing in behind the kids that she was blessing and so she blessed this young woman I said well wait a minute before you go to the next child I need you to bless my child she said well where is he I said well he's at home well she began to criticize well, he's at home why is he home he's supposed to be here to get blessed and so I'm standing here with the mic in my face you know trying to make excuses why my son is not here but I said I'm, I, but I still can't let you go until you bless my son and she blessed him she's prayed a word over him. Now, I, she doesn't know him from Adam, 
but she prayed some things that were true to his personality and it touched me deeply. I want to remind people that sometimes we get shy, even shy about coming up here. And we don't reach forward and we're not hungry enough to get the blessing that God wants to give us. You got to be greedy. The thing I like about Jacob, Jacob's probably interesting. I don't know if Brenda knows this. Jacob's my favorite character. Because Jacob is greedy about life. And sometimes we've got to risk being greedy to get what God has for us. And so I thank you. I bless you and also encourage you to be a bit greedy. When God's given a blessing, run, get it. Don't just walk, run, get it. If you can run, run. If you can crawl, however you get it. But go and get hungry for the blessing that God has for you. Amen. God bless you. There may be people here, members of our pastoral staff team, and they've been a part of this two-year process as well. And so pastors, if you're in this service, I know that most of our pastors are doing what they have to pastorally do. But if there are pastors who are here in this service, I want to encourage our pastoral team to come up. Because the Lord, uh, in this week of preparation to be with you, gave me words for the various teams. And so the pastoral team, I'm so glad to see you come. God bless you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If you guys know in the hallway that there's a pastor out there, you, you ask them to come on in. We want them to receive a blessing. Amen. Greg Boyd and Shelly Boyd, if you'll come forward first. Amen. And then Bridge Crew and Pastoral Team, come on this way a little bit because I want you guys to come and be behind them if you don't mind. Great. That'd be great. You all, I've said in the past three services, and I'll say again, that as I'm praying for Greg Boyd, God gave me a word for him, and it was for you. I literally could see you as I was praying. And so I want you to know this about your pastor. God said that he's a man of courage, a man of courage. And as a result, he has caused your church and your executive team to be a courageous team. I'm here to tell you that your executive team, under the leadership of Greg Boyd, have done courageous things. Way before I ever came into the picture, they have done courageous things, things that other churches wouldn't try, experiments that might have succeeded and some that may have failed, but all of them that came out of a risky, gutsy courage to try what other people weren't trying to do. And God blesses you, Greg Boyd, for your courage, and Shelly, I want to say to you that being married to a person who is courageous, who has gone to places where other people won't go, who dare to do what other people won't do, I feel almost tearful because it is a very hard and strong role that you play to be with him in the courageous and bold things he's asked to do. God says that the spirit of John the Baptist rests on Greg Boy. And that in many ways, and I say this with sincerity and without, without humor, John the Baptist was an odd, different, um, unorthodox kind of guy. It's true. It's true. And it was the very odd, unorthodox uh, uh, thing that caused people to come out into the wilderness to, to hear him. And, and, and even between first service and second service, I sense that that being alone is part of what it means to have the spirit of John the Baptist on you. You'll probably never run with a whole big crowd of religious folks who get it like you get it. In fact, you'll probably be like John the Baptist, antagonistic to them in many ways. And John the Baptist just called it like he saw it. He just kind of said, you brood of vipers. Now, it could have been a way nicer way to say that, you know, a way less offensive way to say that. But that's the prophetic edge 
that John the Baptist has. And so I bless you. I bless you as a couple. I bless your leadership. And I also say in church, you can just stretch your hands toward Greg and Shelly. I pray for your strength and I pray for your stamina. And I say in the name of Jesus that evangelism is going to come forth out of you for nations. I thank you, Lord God, that people who are tired of the religious stuff that has kept them stuck will make their way into the desert. They will trek. They will make a far trek to get to the place where somebody is ruthless with the truth. And so I pray now, Lord God, that for those who are seeking real, true kingdom theology, that they'll find their way to this man who has the spirit of John the Baptist upon him. And I pray that there would be so many conversions that we will get absolutely sick, dizzy, trying to keep count of who comes into the kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, hallelujah. Let's give him praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Bridge crew, <laughs> bridge crew, would you step forward, please? And your pastors are going to stand behind you. Bridge crew, front and center. Bridge crew, front and center. Praise God. It has been my honor and my joy to work with this team. And this has been the team that I've worked most closely with. And so I want to say to you some of what's come from their ministry. In fact, as I prayed for you, I got a word that I have never said to anybody else before, that the spirit of Habakkuk rests on you that the spirit of Habakkuk rests on you. And I hear God saying that there is no such thing as a minor prophet. We refer to people as a minor prophet. So we hear about Isaiah and Jeremiah and they did great things and we all know they had big books and then they're the minor prophets. But God would say that there's no such thing as a minor prophet. You have been the Habakkuk 2-2 crew you have been the people who wrote the vision and made it plain so that the people who run could run well. And so I want you to know what this team has accomplished under the leadership of the executive team and with the supervision and support of the pastoral staff. Here are the four things that they've blessed you with. And I want you to know that they are leaving you with a blessing. And here's what they're blessing you with. PowerPoint screens are for you to now see. One of the things that they have done and I want to make sure I get each one right. They brought greater clarity of the vision that guides the racial reconciliation process. Greg's been preaching about racial reconciliation for years and years and years. But as a result of this team's work, the, the vision has become clear. Write the vision and make it clear. The vision is clear. And the racial recon reconciliation process now has clarity around what the vision actually is so we can run toward it. The second thing that they've done is they brought a clearer organizational structure to support the Ministry of Reconciliation. I said in the earlier services that there's a man who's been on my board and he is a builder. He builds skyscrapers and such. And he said to me one day, Brenda, I can look at the foundation and I can see how big a building will be by the depth of the foundation. The organizational structure that has come as a result of this team's foundational work has given you something to build on that will be lasting. You will be built to last, says God, because your foundation is sure. A shoddy foundation leads to a shoddy building. And I praise God that this crew has given you a strong foundation. 
organizational structure. The third thing is this. There's greater unity and cohesion amongst the pastoral staff team around racial reconciliation. In a minute, we're going to bless the pastoral staff team, but they've caught the vision and they're unified around it. And that process has been a two-year process that God now says they're ready to run with it. And the last thing was a big surprise from God. We didn't expect it. We didn't even pray for it. He just dropped it in for free. Love God. Don't you love him? God has catalyzed a deeper, more profound institutional change process throughout the entire body of Woodland Hills Church. And that came because a few folks dared to lead a racial reconciliation process. And so I want to bless this crew. And as I do, I want you to stand to your feet because that's the blessing that they've given to you. And now as we bless them, I'm going to bless you. Greg will have the final word, and we're going to leave this place. Blessed people able to give a blessing. To the bridge crew, I bless you. I bless you as ambassadors of reconciliation. I bless you to be people who spearhead reconciliation wherever you go. I believe in the name of Jesus that what you've begun will last and that years later you'll be able to come back and you'll be able to look at things that have manifested themselves and you'll be able to say that we helped to build that. We helped to build that. We prayed for that. We helped to inspire that. I bless you as ambassadors of the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. May the spirit of Habakkuk rest on you. May you continue to write the vision and make it plain that anybody who runs after you can run well and succeed. Amen. 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 Pastoral team. I got to pray to the pastoral team and pray for the church and I'm done. Pastoral team. All I got to say to you is it's your turn to run. <laughs> this is our pastoral staff, and I praise God. They have been so extremely supportive throughout this entire process. And now we pass the baton. I almost wanted to bring a torch, like with the Olympic torch. That's what I see for you as I pray for you. That like the, um, I, I lived in, in Los Angeles when the Olympics were there, and the torch guy, the person who got to run with the torch, it was such a huge honor to be passed the torch. And you wanted to run your leg with dignity and you held that thing up high and as they ran up those steps with that torch there was a sense of triumphant victory and they realized that their lap was important and that they got to bear the torch the fire the eternal flame this Olympic flame you guys are Olympic runners and this bridge crew has passed to you a torch and I really bless you and so right now God I say to this pastoral team I believe, Lord God, that the flame will not go out. I believe that the flame will burn bright. They take the torch and they run with it. In the name of Jesus, they hold it high. Keep their arms from getting tired. Lord God, holding that torch up while they run, as I metaphorically see that in my mind, takes energy, it takes strength, it takes training, and it takes stamina. And I would pray, Lord God, that you would hold their arms up, that the angels of God would give them the strength to hold the torch high and may glory come to Jesus because of it for we ask it in his name and to the church I say your name is the bridge 
You are the bridge that brings people who would never come together together. I bless you with who you are. I say that your identity is a church that brings together those who are resourced with those who are not. You bring together from the suburbs and the urban communities people who would not normally meet each other. You bring together people from different genders and different nationalities, different countries. You bring together people from different racial and ethnic groups. You are a bridge over troubled water. Hallelujah! Glory to God. Under you there is trouble, but on you there is peace. And you are a bridge over troubled water. And I declare it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Praise God. Amen. Receive that. Receive that identity. Receive that. Receive that identity. That is who God has called us to be. Uh, Give me one more minute here. I, I would like us just to publicly, the, the, the baton's been passed, but I want to celebrate and thank the uh, crew that just ran the last leg. So could we just thank the bridge crew for all the work that they've done? You guys, thank you. They have put in hours. Amen. It was a long sometimes difficult, sometimes frustrating uh, process, uh, but you've done good and brought us to where we are right now. Final thing is, uh, Brenda and Derek, would you come in the middle here and I'd like us to gather around you. And uh, this is, you have blessed us. We want to just end by blessing you. And the word that I have for these two that, that I have had really since the first time they came up here, the when Brenda walked in the room, the first time we were discussing about the possibility of having this uh, relationship, I had a strong sense that, that what she was to be about was not just Woodland Hills Church, but the church in the Twin Cities. And that in some ways, what's going on here and what continues to go on here is a catalyst for a broader work in the Twin Cities. And even now, as I've shared a little bit the last couple of weeks, there is uh, some very beautiful, interesting things happening with the Church of the Twin Cities. Yes. Uh, and, and there are some voices that are saying that... that um, are noticing that, that the Church of the Twin Cities, not just Woodland Hills Church, but as a part of that team, we're to take a leadership role that will have some kind of national implications on, on churches getting this, uh, that this is not a peripheral PC kind of a thing. Reconciliation is one of the central things Jesus died for. And that Brenda and Derek together as a team, they have just begun to work with churches in this area. They've worked with colleges and institutions, but uh, this work is just beginning. But my, my, my sense, strong sense, is that Brenda and Derek, you are going to have a ministry to pastors. Uh, to ignite a flame and install a vision that they will take back to their, their churches that will be a catalyst for bringing about, finally bringing about this dimension of, of uh, the kingdom that Jesus died for that has been for so long, too long, uh, suppressed. And more specifically with the Church of the Twin Cities, as God is raising up here a, a team mindset of people who have reconciliation as a front burner issue, and, and as we are coming together and praying together and, and, and developing more cohesion, I see both of you having a role to play in that. Uh, some sort of apostolic ministry, and I don't know what that looks like, but, but I want us to pray to that end. So would you extend your hand towards Brenda and Derek? 
And Father, we just thank you for what these two have done uh, at Wilden Hills Church and how you have used them at Wilden Hills Church, uh, sometimes in ways that we didn't expect and in ways that they didn't expect. But you're a God who just always is thinking and acting outside the box, and we praise thank you for you, that. Uh, but God, you brought us to this point, and we thank you for that. But now, Lord, as we look to the future, we pray a blessing on these two, Lord God, on their ministry, Lord. We pray a blessing on Brenda Salter McNeil Associates, Lord God. Use them, give them the wisdom and the strength and the fortitude that they will need to walk in this uh, new identity that you are giving to them, Lord God. We pray you'd make it clear what the role is to be in the Twin Cities and nationally, Lord God. We pray protection around them, protection from the enemy, because when you are on the front lines, you get shot at a lot. And so we pray protection and take authority over the enemy with regard to their, their lives and with regard to uh, their, their ministry, Lord God. And raise up, Lord God, in the Twin Cities here, this reality, Lord God, a, 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 a team of pastors who get it, who see the beauty of reconciliation and are inspired to work towards that. And use Brenda and Derek in that process, Lord God. And all the while, our covenant with you is that we will say, make sure that where the credit goes, and it will give you the glory and you the honor and you the praise for all that you are doing through us, and it's just an honor to be used by you, Lord. Thank you for, for these two, Lord, and bless them outrageously as they go out of our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Praise God. Yes, yes, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. With our prayer teams, come forward, and if you're here and you want to pray with some folks, feel free to stay afterwards.